Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, uh, go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. I'm going to take a drink of water because I've had a mask on uh, and I need one right now. So, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to introduce you to a new member of the family. Uh, don't get too excited. Um, Tolson's still our only human child. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, we took home Rosie Cotton. Yeah, that's our newest little fur baby. And, uh, uh, and she is awesome. Uh, so we uh, found out there's this hound mix that needed rescuing, and we just thought we'd do the right thing. I'm just joking. We, I get way more out of that uh, than, than she does, I'm sure, for me. It's been a lot of fun so far. Um, she, uh, no rabbit in our backyard has been safe. Uh, no stuffed squirrel in my house is alive anymore. And uh, she is daddy's girl for sure. In fact, uh, my wife, uh, Rosie Cotton, by the way, is the wife of Sam Wise Gamgee after they come back. Uh, from uh, after he comes back from going with Frodo to destroy the ring in Mordor. And so just his faithful uh, motivation to go back, and he marries her, and there's really nothing other than that. I was trying to figure out which female name from Lord of the Rings will Megan let me name this dog. And so <laughs> Rosie Cotton was about the only one that fell. Galadriel wasn't going to work. And so, uh, and so uh, I, I, I just, I love this dog. In fact, uh, Megan said, uh, I think you love that dog as much as you love me. And I said, babe, that's not, that's not sure. I love this dog. I think you love that dog more than me. And I said, baby, that's not true. I, I love you guys the same, you know? It's like, and, um, and she was upset about that, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm just joking. I, I didn't say that. Uh, I didn't say that out loud. And so, because uh, if I did, that would just show how immature I was and am as a husband, how much growing I have to do. I mean, you know that, right? Like if a husband were to love his dog in the same way he loves his wife, you would say something's odd about that. And if you are a husband watching and you love your dog more than your wife, let's talk, right? Just text welcome to 7425558 and we want to uh, just reach out to you and uh, let you know why that's not the mature thing to do as a follower of Christ or as a husband. In fact, you, you know that as a husband or as a spouse, uh, there's a lot more uh, to being married in this new way of living, in this new life, uh, than just simply what you knew existed at the moment of your wedding day. I mean, isn't it true that if you could go back and talk to yourself if you were married on your wedding day, you would probably just laugh and say, you know nothing, right? That's just what you would do. There's so much more to that moment. The same is true for those of you that have children, and you're all children of someone, and so you know this, and you're around children. There's some in the room uh, appropriately distanced right now. You understand that there's much more to raising children than just the moment of birth. There's a whole lifetime of growing that that child has to do. There's a whole lifetime of growing that that new spouse has to do. And what Paul's going to do in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, is he's going to begin to pivot in the book of Colossians to help the Colossians see what it looks like to grow up in the faith that they have in Christ. Paul has done an incredible job, a godly job, it's Scripture, a godly job of describing their faith in Christ up until Colossians 1, verse 24 so far. 
He begins by saying, you know this, that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he starts out by saying, I've been chosen by God. I've been called by God to lead his church and teaching them and establishing these things. And then he goes on to say, I have heard about the fruit in your lives because the word that was made known to you by Epaphras, my beloved brother, that Epaphras was this guy that Paul knew was a follower of Christ and that established this church, we believe, in Colossae, that Paul wasn't the one who started it, maybe, but he was uh, coming alongside Epaphras, training him in, in any capacity. Epaphras was the pastor at Colossae, and fruit was being produced, and their joy was being made known throughout the world, what God was doing, and that was happening because of who Jesus is, all of it. The Colossians did not have a historically God's people background. They were Gentiles. That's a fancy word for everyone outside of God's people, Israel. They were Gentiles. And so Paul says, continuing on in chapter 1, as Pastor Eric has been preaching, this happened because Jesus is God. He owns everything. He is over everything, the firstborn of all creation. Everything was made by Him and through Him and for Him. You know that moment in Genesis 1 where God said, let there be light, and then there was light? That and in Genesis is Jesus. Through Jesus, everything was made that all things were made by Him, and in Him all things consist and are held together. He is over every uh, ruler and dominion and authority and power and principality. All things are made by Him and for Him. That's, that's Jesus, and He's the head of the church. You, as followers of Christ Church at Colossae, you follow Jesus. You are a Christian, little Christs. That's who you are. And so Paul tells them, man, God did this for you. He redeemed you through Jesus Christ. And he, this is a continual work. And in verse 24, which ironically comes right after verse 23, believe it or not, just look at your Bible. In verse 24, Paul is going to begin to pivot to tell them now how they ought to live as Christians, because there's much more to the Christian life than just your moment of salvation. In fact, Jesus died for you, not just so that you would know you need to be saved, but so that you would walk in salvation with Him. And Paul knows that they need to know this. And God, as Scripture, knows that you need to know this. But before Paul begins to tell them how they ought to act and live, Paul wants them to know why they ought to believe his message. In verse 24 through 29, Paul begins to give the, kind of these three reasons, these three validations why his message, how, uh, the message of how the gospel now impacts your day in and day out life, these three validations as to why they ought to believe what Paul is going to tell them, which leads us to our question this morning. If you were to answer the question, why should someone believe what you have to say about the gospel? What characteristics validate the message of the gospel that you proclaim or ought to? What are the things that are true of you that others would look at you and say, I believe that they believe what they believe? 
because we have all been a part and party to understanding that sometimes we live in a way and others live in a way living out their Christianity that it actually does not validate the message of the gospel at all, but under the name of being Christian and following God, a message entirely different. Well, sometimes that message comes in the form of if you just have a greater and better knowledge of something, then you can really follow God. Sometimes that message comes in the form of if you just act the right way and do the right things and act the appropriate cultural way, then you can know and follow God. That's what validates your relationship with God. Or sometimes it comes in the form of uh, if you just have the right ecstatic visionary experience where you see and talk to angels. Literally, those are the three things that Paul lines out in chapter 2 at the end of chapter 2 sound wise. It sounds like what would validate your life in Christ as a Christian is having all the answers. That sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like what validates your life as a follower of Christ to others who look is that you do the right things. It sounds right, right? It sounds like wisdom to say what validates your relationship with God is some ecstatic inward experience where you see visions and talk in the language and tongues of angels. We hear that all the time. And in chapter 2, Paul ends, and this is where Pastor Eric is going in the coming weeks. Paul ends with saying, those sound good, but the only thing they're good for, just look at it in verse 23. The only thing that they're good for is man-made religion. They do nothing to stop the indulgence of the flesh. They do nothing for you as a follower of Christ. Like it it sounds good, but that's not even the gospel you believed, right? The gospel that we believe from the Bible, from God's mouth, from incarnate Jesus to us, is not that we knew all the right things, is not that we went to all the right places, is not that we uh, had the right experience. In fact, it was the, we were the opposite of all of those things, and God rescued us Anyways, you see, if you were to list out what validates your life as a follower of Christ, you may put all of your eggs in those baskets, and we're all prone to do that. The Colossians were prone to do that. And what this text is going to do is begin to help us see and understand what are the things we put our energy so that others would know that we believe what we say we believe. And here's the first thing. In verse 24, Paul is going to say that we, you, can un, you can believe Paul's message of how to live as a follower of Christ. You can believe what he's going to say because, as Paul says in verse 24, he is faithfully suffering for what Christ suffered for. And then you're going to see in verses 25 through 27 that he faithfully, uh, fully proclaims what Christ died for. And then you're going to see in verse 
29, or actually that goes through 28, verse 29, that he faithfully proclaims, uh, ferociously, whatever the thing is, the third one, that he fervently preaches what Christ lived for. And you see, I have such a hard time even remembering that. So for a brain like mine, I had to simplify it into a phrase that I could understand. So here's what you're going to learn this morning. If you write nothing else down after this, you can just keep your mask on and go through the exit only. We marked exits, exit only. So please don't leave through the entrance. You have to go through the exit, go through the exit at the end. So after this, you can, you can leave or just please stick around. You're going to learn this. Here's what Paul wants you to know. Here's what, rather, God wants you to know. That for those who are followers of Christ, what validates your message of the gospel for those that are watching you is that you live a life that promotes all of Christ for all of me, all of Christ for all of you, and all of Christ for all of life. All of Christ for all of me, every part of you. All of Christ for all of you, everyone who would hear the message. And all of Christ for all of life, every age and stage of life God brings us into, Christ is for that as well. Let's see what, the, what I mean by this, what the Apostle Paul writes to us, what God says to us in Colossians 1, looking at verse 24, and Paul writes this. He says to them to validate what he's going to say. He begins, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church. It's interesting. Look at how Paul begins to tell the Colossians, you can believe me. Just read the text. You can believe me because I'm suffering for you. That's what the four is. This, there's, I'm giving you a reason. I am suffering for you. That's how they could believe that Paul's message was real. And not only was he suffering, he was finding joy in suffering. Do you know what the Greek word for suffering is? It's suffering. It's exactly what you think it is. There's no way around it. Going through things that hurt and don't feel good and I do not enjoy. Paul's in jail while writing this and he's telling them, I find joy, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And then he continues on. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. What in the world does that mean? Well, what Paul is saying is the, the suffering that I am enduring is because Christ in his life, death, and resurrection has fully paid for all who would believe in him that they would be fully saved, sanctified, that they would be holy and blameless and beyond reproach in him. He just got done saying that in chapter 1, that you who are followers of Jesus by your faith in him did nothing to earn it, did nothing to deserve it. He did everything and made you stand perfect before him. And now our call as followers of Christ is to live that out. And as we live that out, 
Paul is saying that just as Jesus was, so am I. Just as Jesus suffered because of who he was, me as a follower of Christ, Christ in me now endures the same suffering that Christ suffered. Wasn't this promised by Jesus to his followers? And Paul, at the very end of his life, in, um, uh, in 2 Timothy, it's the, the last letter we have, the last uh, 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 book in the Bible, uh, and the last letter historically that we have that Paul writes, he's going to be beheaded soon. He is all alone. And one of the final things he writes is, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. Uh, Peter, he tells those that he's writing to in 1 Peter that are being scattered because of the gospel, uh, that are exiles in wherever they are because of the gospel. He tells them, don't be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you, but rejoice because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 1 Peter chapter 4, just look at the end. And he says, listen, if you suffer don't suffer as a meddler or an evildoer or as a murderer. Don't suffer because you're being dumb. Suffer because you are a Christian and you are blessed because of that. You got to know that Paul was saying, you can believe what I'm saying because I'm doing what Jesus did. I am suffering for what, uh, I'm suffering for what Christ suffered for. Is that, is that weird to you? Like, is it odd to hear someone say that as a Christian, God's will for you is to suffer? That sometimes, I mean, offends us because we often equate the validation of our walk with Christ with being smarter than everyone in theology. We validate our walk with Christ with doing the right things and being at the right places at the right time. And I'm glad you all are at this place at this time. This is the right place to be. You two online. Like, there's all sorts of reasons and nuances, right? But, like, that's why we, you guys aren't more spiritual than the people online this morning, right? Like, you, you know that. Like, we, we validate our walk with Christ because, uh, 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 because we have these you know, we feel happier than everybody. And, and that's a thinly veiled idea of man-made religion because as you get to know people, you realize that if that's what your teenagers believe when they enter into college, they meet some really smart people who aren't Christians. Like we see this as our college students get married or go on into the singleness God called them into and they realize like, wait a minute, these people don't go to church, and they're, they seem to be doing okay. Oh, every parent's had that conversation with their kids, haven't they? That thinly veiled understanding of what validates us as Christians uh, in our walk with Christ, what validates our message is uh, as like, well, you know, follow God, and He'll take care of all of your things, and you'll be happy all the time. And then you meet people who are happy, and you walk through a time where you are not, and you begin to realize, wait a minute, this actually has little to do with validating the Christian life, 
because I don't feel as smart as everybody, and I'm supposed to. I don't feel like I do things all right all the time, and there's people who are better than me, and I don't feel like I feel good all the time, and I think that I should. How many of you have ever been to a worship service or sat through a sermon, or maybe you are right now, and you're like, I don't know, this is okay. I don't really feel it today, right? I'm preaching the sermon, and I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> and that begins to crumble away. And Paul says, in jail, here's how you know you can believe me that what I have to say is true because I'm suffering for you. You see, Paul knows that followers of Christ, the gospel declares that followers of Christ aren't like those who have everything together, have all of the right answers, are in all the right places at all the right times, and have the right ecstatic feelings that happiness and joy. Followers of Christ are described as those who find a treasure in a field and literally sell everything to have it. Followers of Christ are those who, like a merchant, have so much and they find a one pearl, and they say, I've got to have that pearl, that one. That's, i got to have that. Also, everything to have it. Followers of Christ are those who see their lives as, as something to be given for the sake of following Jesus. Did he not say that those who desire to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me? Followers of Christ and, uh, understand from a biblical mindset that all of Christ is for all of me, everything about me. That's the gospel you have to believe. Every single fault and failure, all the times you didn't know when you should have, all the times you didn't go when you should have, all the times you didn't feel right when you should have, all of those things God has crucified with Christ. That's the gospel. That's what saves you, and that's now for all of you. And Paul sees that. So you can, you can believe me. You can believe me. I'm in jail. You can believe me because I'm, I'm suffering for you. No matter what God calls me to, I am in it. He is with me for everything I am. You want to know what would validate the gospel in the lives of those around you? Validate that your gospel, not that you would make them believe that's all of God, and not that you would cause them to do anything, but for them to come to the conclusion that you actually believe what you believe, that we would be a group of people who would say, take away all my stuff, Jesus is better. Take away my very life, Jesus is better. Make me uncomfortable by wearing a mask, Jesus is better. Not just hear what I have to say on Facebook. Watch what I do. Watch what it looks like to find somebody who actually believes Jesus is better than all things, even if it means suffering. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you're in here today and that's not the gospel you believe, that Jesus demands everything of you because he paid for you fully, you may not know the gospel. You should know something different. You see, the Colossians were there too, and Paul was saying, you, you can know what I have to say is true because I, I, I'm suffering for you, everything about me, that's what's validating. Not that everything's right now. Dude's sitting in jail. Not that everything's right now. You can know because I'm suffering for you. That's a mark of a follower of Christ. So here's the question. 
What are you unwilling to give up for the sake of following Jesus? Or really, just Mr. Rogers does this thing. It's a big thing in my house right now because I have a three-year-old. And uh, he does this thing where he'll say, um, he says all sorts of things. We all need Mr. Rogers in our life right now. I think it's been beautiful uh, to watch. It's free. You can just Google it. It's awesome. Um, But he does this thing where he will say, uh, let's all take a minute and just remember those who loved us into being. And the reason is because we, we forget that. And so, to, in the same kind of idea of Mr. Rogers, because that's what's going on in my world right now, why don't we all just take a second and remember all of the things that we were being when God loved us. And if you were young as a follower of Christ, all the things that you would be without Him. That we would take a minute and remember for 30 seconds and remember that all of Christ is for all of me, even the things that I hide and suppress and don't want others to see. I'll keep the time. Paul gives the second validation in verses 25 through 28, or 27. He says, not only can you believe my gospel, he's going he's to keep going in the rest of the book of Colossians to tell them what it means to live out. Not only can you believe it because, man, I'm suffering for you and Jesus is for all of life, but also look at where he goes in verse 25. Not only is it all of Christ for all of life, but it is all of Christ for all of you. This is so important. This is so important because there was an idea that the gospel was only for people like those who had believed. And that's dangerous. But look at what he does here in verse 25. He says, of which, okay, of, uh, as a, uh, of the, the church, of which, of the church, verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Okay, so Paul says, here's how you can, okay, validation. God's given me stewardship. In other words, he had this thing, and he's asked me, he has, he has told me that I'm to care for it as he would care for it. I'm a good steward. I'm going to take good care of it. The thing that he's asked me to take care of is this, that you would fully know God's Word. And here's what that message, that fully known God's Word is in verse 26. The mystery hidden, a mystery in the Bible is exactly, it's not like uh, uh, magic tricks, like it's not, it's like it is a mystery. You know, it's a mystery is something that was hidden and now revealed, right? It's more like a game of hide uh, and seek than it is like, you know, pen and teller, okay? The mystery hidden, although they tell you how they do it, but you get my point. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed, here it is, Here's the Word of God fully known, the thing that God has called him to make known. To them, God chose to make known 
How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in y'all, that's a plural, in y'all, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, here's how you can know that my message, at least that I believe it, and that what I'm going to say is a valid way of living the Christian life, because the message that I preach lines up with God's testimony from beginning to end, that the gospel is not just for people like Paul, a Jew among Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, all of the qualifications that would make him somehow be believed as God's people, that it's not just for people who look like him and talk like him and have a background like him. It is for all the Gentiles, everyone who'd ever believed, which is super good news for the Colossians because that's all of them as well. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, the gospel is for all of you. Jesus Christ for all of you. You can know what I'm saying lines up with what God wants because the gospel isn't just for those who can give mo enough money to be healed. Let me kick that dog. That's a, that's a bad illustration. Let me chase that for just a minute. Where in the world are the faith healers right now in the midst of COVID? Where are you? That the gospel is not just for those who can afford some kind of healing. That the gospel is not for just for those who have the right background or the proper ideas. The gospel is for those all who would believe. It's for all of the people who would ever believe in Jesus. That's how you know a message is validated. At least someone believes that you believe what you believe. That they look at you and you say, the gospel was for me. I was like the Corinthians. There were none who were wise. There were no one of noble standard. Uh, there was no one who, is, uh, uh, who, was, uh, who had the right background, but rather he saved me anyways. That this is the gospel, right? That from the beginning of time, God looked out and said, that one right there, that one right there, that one who does not know me, who is far from me, who, wouldn't, uh, who would have no idea who I was if I showed up, who wouldn't listen if I sent prophets, uh, who wouldn't follow if I sent a king, uh, who wouldn't understand if I put them in bondage and broke them out again. That one right there, you sitting in your chair, the gospel is for you. I'm going to save that one. That was Paul's message that the Gentiles are to be saved, that you guys got to know. It's for everybody. And Paul says, you want to know why you can believe what I'm going to say? Because what I'm going to say isn't just for a few of you or for a select group of you. It's for you. The gospel is for you. This word of how to live because of the gospel is for you, not just your leaders. You, not just the people you think should follow it. You, this is for you. Validation number two. It's for you, all of Jesus, for all of you. That's validation number two. And here's the third one. Look at verse 28. Paul says, him, that's Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here's validation number three. How did, was he trying to tell the Colossians that they should believe what he's going to tell them about how to live as a Christian? Well, because he was suffering for them, he was teaching that the gospel's for everyone who would believe. And last but not least, 
He was preaching what Christ lives for. And that's this. All of Christ for all of life. Just just stick with me for a minute because it also really helps out the sermon points because they all sound nice, right? All of Christ for all of life. That there is not a season, stage, or reason in life that Jesus Christ is not Lord of for those who follow Him. There's no, there's no exception clause. And that you exist as a follower of Christ to not only be made alive, but to live. Uh, when, I, uh, when I became a dad, um, I was exhausted. There was no tired like dad tired. Like, I, I've been pretty tired before in life. I thought, you know, I had a job when I was 19. I thought I was tired. No tired like dad tired. <laughs> There's just not. And, uh, uh, and so I remember a couple of weeks in, I called my dad, or he called me. I have no idea because I was delirious. No idea what it was what it actually went on. At some point, I talked to my dad at some point moment after Tolson was born. And, um, and he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm, you know, good. I'm exhausted. Like, this is hard. Just, it it never stops ever. They're always there. Always, right? Like if you have kids, one of the transitions is you go from like, you can do whatever you want to just like, you can't. (laughs) You just, they're always there. And um, uh, until, you know, they go to college and then you're like, I wish they were here. Um, And so like, they're always there. And so uh, I said, Dad, how in the world did you do? I'm one of four boys. I'm number three. Uh, maybe that explains something about me. I don't know. And uh, I said, Dad, how in the world did you do this? Like with four? Like my my parents didn't have college degrees. Like they well they do now. They went back in their like 50s and went to college. And um, uh, my parents didn't have college degrees. We boys eat a lot, like all the time. They just don't they don't stop eating. In, during worship, Tolson looked up loud and said, I want crackers, right? Just, they never stop eating all the time. And I said, Dad, how in the world do you do this? Like, I'm, I'm exhausted. And, um, and uh, he did what a, a good dad does. Um, and I know not, not everyone uh, has a good dad. Uh, and this is not what I thought he would do. Uh, but he uh, just laughed. And then he said, you'll grow into it. Bye. And hung up the phone. <laughs> I thought, that's it? Like, that's, <laughs> I'll grow into it, right? Like, what do you mean? I'll, that, that's all the advice you have. Like, no, of course, he knows. He's, my mom's a nurse. My dad's a respiratory therapist. Like, of course, they probably knew exactly what was going on, how to get the kid to sleep, how to get me to sleep, like, just to try to figure out, like, like nope, that was it. You will grow into it because my dad knew something about fatherhood that I had yet to learn and have only learned slightly uh, so far that so much changes from that moment that you have to grow into it as you go. You've experienced this before when you went from elementary school to middle school. Things shift and change, and you grow as you go. And if you don't, there's something weird. If you're a dad and you're still like, playing Xbox and not helping and not serving and like just trying to stay as disengaged as you can. There's something immature about that. Now, play Xbox. I will destroy anyone in Halo. I think I may have said that already. Like that's, but 
you get the point. You look at that and go like, dude, that's, that's immature. That's not what you're supposed to do. If you get to middle school, kids, and you're still acting like you did in elementary school, like you, you ought to grow up some. Once you get to high school and you act like you did in middle school, you probably revert back to elementary school. But at some point, you got to grow up, right? Like there, it's something weird and immature if you still act five when you are 25, When you go to new stages of life, whether that's to college or you get married or y'all know in the military, when you go from E3 to E4 or from whatever to an ensign or whatever an O1 is in another branch, because I don't know, uh, when you do that, like, like you, when you go from like ensign to lieutenant or something, like you, you have to act different. You have to act different. You can't act like you were when you first got in until you make captain or chief. Then you can go back to acting however you want. But you get my point. And the analogy breaks down at a certain point. But you get my point. Every new stage of life brings newness that you have to grow into. And if you do not grow, there's something wrong and immature. You see, Paul was working not just so he would continually remind them that they believed in Jesus, although he did do that. Not only for that, but so that he would present them mature. All throughout Scripture, there's something wrong with a follower of God if in time they're not more like him. In the same way that the moment of birth is a beautiful thing, but there's a lifetime of growth ahead. The moment of marriage is a beautiful thing, but marriage isn't about the wedding day. The moment of making rank is a beautiful thing, but now there are implications to that beyond that. The moment of salvation is a glorious and wonderful and beautiful thing with, for those who are saved, implications that echo into eternity. And that's what Paul's striving for them to know. And he's striving for them to know in verse 28, Jesus, we proclaim warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And there's a new way of thinking. You don't get to think like a kid anymore when you become an adult. Paul tells the Corinthians, literally in chapter 14, he says, stop acting like a children. Stop, grow up. In chapter 16, he says, man up to the men. In uh, chapter 5, he says, man, I wanted to feed you with, or chapter 4, some, no, Hebrews 4. In chapter 5, he says, uh, I wanted to uh, feed you solid food, but you're not ready. I still have to feed you milk. And the writer of Hebrews, to his audience, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, um, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're still babes. Uh, Peter, he says, uh, 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 long for the Word of God, like a child uh, longs for milk, so that result." you may grow up. That as a follower of Christ, why Paul said my message is validated is is because I'm not trying to keep you as you are. I'm trying to help you grow into who God has called you to be. That all of Christ is for all of life. That it is not just for the young or the young in faith. It is to walk with you and grow you. You can know that I'm okay saying you're not okay exactly as you are because God is calling you to be so much more mature than you are and you will get there in time. And Paul says, you can believe me because my message is validated because I want you to know 
that there is so much more as a follower of Christ that the moment launches you into for the rest of eternity. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, it, it does do us well to categorize, to do an inventory. If, if I ask the question, what do you hope others see about your life to know that you're a Christian, how would you answer that? Now, this isn't guilt trip time because you would say, I want people to know that, uh, that I, I go to church and I want people to know uh, that, I, that I know things about the Bible. Now, I would want people to know uh, that, that I, I experience God. Those are, those are good. Those are, those are good. Th- those, are, those are not inherently evil things. But above that, what's an, what those are an implication of is underneath that, underneath that is a conviction as a follower of Christ or ought to be where what drives those things is Jesus is for every area of my life. Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for, uh, for every stage that I could possibly be in. Jesus is not just a young man's game. Jesus is for everyone. What drives that? What drives that? Is understanding all of Christ for all of me, all of Christ for all of you, all of Christ for all of life. That's what defines, that's what uh, gives evidence of our walk with Christ. And in verse 29, man, Paul says, For this I toil, that these things would be true. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that it powerfully works within me. What we give our energy towards is what we see as validation. So here's the question. What do you struggle to do? When it comes to being a follower of Christ, what do you give all your energy towards? If your energy all goes towards being the smartest about theology on Facebook or in your Bible study or in your circle, if it goes all towards doing the right things, and you should, if it goes all so that others would see, that was the, (laughs) Eric will get there. If your energy all goes towards experiencing the right things, you may be putting your energy into things that are good but not best. So where do we put our energy? We put our energy into knowing Jesus. I don't mean knowing like the scribes and Pharisees in the Gospels knew the Bible, but knowing Him, spending time with Him, and making him known in, to every person and, and allowing him to know us in every area of life. We put our energy into any, every way that we can say, all of Jesus for all of me, all of Christ for all of you, all of Christ for all of life. And that, that's what we rely on. That's what we give evidence on as we walk and live out the implications of being a follower of Christ. So that being said, we're going to respond. The band's going to come up and lead us in a final song. 
And as they do, we're going to take some time to really allow the Lord to search our hearts and ask, help us answer where we find validation as a Christian. What's, what are we putting energy in so we can convince others and ourselves that we believe? And, uh, and what we put our energy towards. Those are the same question. You get the point. And if you're in here watching or you're in here and you would say, man, I totally thought, I thought I was part of God's people because I go to the right places and because uh, I base it on this experience I had when I was a kid or when I was a teenager. That's how I know I'm a follower of Jesus. Or because uh, 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 I, 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 I have uh, knowledge of God. If that's what you're, what you're validating in your heart, I, I just, it's worth the question, do you know the gospel? Has there been a change? Are you growing? Is there any difference between how you know God now and how you know God 10 years ago? I don't mean the level of knowledge. I mean how you know God. And if there's not a difference, you ought to ask God the question, God, do I know you? And if these, the answer is no, the, the solution is not, well, then I'm, I'm going to make sure I come to July 5th. You should. By the way, you sign up for July 5th, worship in person next week at Kempsville. Please do that if you hadn't. But that's not the first solution. The solution is not, I need to join a life group to learn more. You do need to join a life group to learn more. If you're, you're not designed to do the Christian life by yourself, if you're not in a life group, literally, you don't even have to leave. I'm in basketball shorts and a t-shirt most life groups night. It's pretty cool. You don't even have to leave your house. But that's, that's not the first step, to learn more. I just got to learn more, and then I'll… If you would say, okay, I, I know I don't know God, so what I'm going to do is just try to amp myself up and get in these experiences, and somehow when the chord changes in the song, I feel God more, and like, like it's, you know, that's what we, that's what we do. Like, if, that's, if that's the solution, like, that's really cool, but that's not the first step. The first step is believing that Jesus is for all of you, every single part of you. All of your faults and all of your failures and all of your sin and all the ways you ever missed the mark, Jesus is for every single part of you, not just what you do on Sundays, every part of you, not just uh, uh, what you do uh, in, in, in gatherings. He's there for your vocation. He's there for your to, to help lead you through your family. He's there for every single part of your life, every single part of you. And he is there so that he would be made known to everybody. That's what he calls us to do as followers of Christ. Believing that Jesus is for all of you. That you've sinned. And the consequences of that sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Life. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, would you believe in Jesus and be saved? And here's, here's, here's the catch. We're not saved because we want stuff to get better, although God will faithfully walk with you, and it might. We're not saved because there's something we want to be over. He might allow that to be over, and it, but then he might not. I'm asking you to see Jesus as more awesome over all things 
In spite of your sin, he loved you anyways. Even if it means putting you through suffering to see he's worth it. And so this morning, if you want to believe in the gospel like that, would you take this time to confess your sin to God, to ask him to save you, to help him change your mind to see that he is worth everything? Would you follow Jesus like that? Let me pray, and then we'll sing one more song. Uh, And then Pastor Eric's going to get up and close us out. Uh, And you don't want to miss what he has to say. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being so good to us. God, thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you for all those that are gathered online. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to, to know and understand it. Father, through the jumble of uh, the sermon, would you give us wisdom that by your spirit we would know your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him. Lord, where we look to so many other things to validate our relationship with you, God, would you help us to look to Jesus. May we be unified around him as a church. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.